morning, church family. My name is Malik Pali, and this is my wife, Ashley. I serve here at the, uh, on the Worship and Arts Division, and my wife serves in the Mission and Outreach Division. Our scripture reading today is from Acts. Let us stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts 1.8. Jesus said to his followers, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Acts 4, 8 to 20. The rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas and John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name did you heal the lame beggar? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer for anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Ashley and Malik. Malik, I'm going to have you sing tenor in the uh, choir soon, I think. I'm so glad to be back in church this week. Um, a week ago yesterday, I was in Chicago, and it was seven degrees below zero when I got up, and the wind was blowing. It was 22 to 25 degrees below zero wind chill. And then when Chris picked me up at the airport, it was almost 90. That's 100 degrees, 100 degrees difference. I like being here, just to, just to let you know. Um, years ago, uh, I was asked to, to speak to a whole gathering of, of uh, Christian leaders and pastors in Japan in a, in a beautiful city of Hamamatsu. Uh, Paul, Dr. Paul Cedar, who once was pastor here, was supposed to be the speaker, and he became ill and called me up, and I only had a day or two to get ready and, and to head over. So I remember as I was uh, flying to Japan, I pulled up the email from him, and it told me that I was speaking 10 times in two and a half days. Now, now I, I'm telling you, I got tired of hearing myself, and I'm sure they did as well. But I thought of that this week as I thought about the message that I want to bring to you. Because when I came to the 10th message that I brought, the man who was the leader of the conference introduced me. And I made note of it because I never wanted to forget his introduction. This is what he said. He said, we have arrived at the last five minutes 
of this conference. For him, that was a metaphor for the last moment you have. He said, we have listened to our speaker bring nine messages from God's word, but he is coming now to bring what we call his last five minutes. We know that when we have little time left, we don't waste our breath on trivial things. We used our last moments to pass on the most important things to us. So now, let us listen carefully as Dr. Waybright brings us his message in his last five minutes. I'd never had such a sobering introduction in my life. <laughs> and I am telling you, I sensed that day when I got up to speak that the people were listening so earnestly, just like you always do. I, just like, <laughs> like, like I want to tell you that. But this, this past week as I prepared the message, I thought about that, this, this idea of how important when we have little time, how important those words are that we pass on. Because what we come to today in the book of Acts, chapter 1, and especially verse 8, is what Jesus said to all of his followers, passing it on all the way to us in his last five minutes. Just to give you the setting of, of Acts chapter 1, Jesus had been with his disciples for three years. And I'll tell you, he taught them a lot over those three years. Then even after he had died on a cross and then been resurrected, he came back again. And if you look at Acts 1-3, we're told that he continued to teach them said it, he would teach them about the kingdom of God, about what life is like when God is really the one in control. But then when you get to verse 8, we get to the last five minutes, the very last words, the thing that Jesus most wanted to pass on. So what did he say in his last five minutes? It's a famous verse. This is what he said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses all the way from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Doesn't it become very clear to you that what Jesus wants us to be, among other things, but it, the central thing is he wants us to be his witnesses. And that's what I want us to think about today. So, so what does he call us to be? He calls us to be witnesses what is a witness? Now, I'll just tell you, um, the word witness that was used in, in the, uh, the language of the Bible, uh, the New Testament, Greek, means exactly the same thing it means to us in English. It's one of those words that means the same thing in that culture as it means in our culture so much later. It's a word that's almost always used for a person who is in a courtroom. So that whenever there is a case that is there, a witness is a person who has had some personal experience that needs to be passed on so that you could get to the truth. It's someone who has seen something or someone who has heard something that needs to be passed on so that you can determine what is true and what is not true. So Jesus says that's what we are. We are to be his witnesses, people who have experienced something about him and with him that we pass on to the rest of the world. So when I read through the rest of the book of Acts, and we've gone through it several times during my time here, I always look to see what does this kind of being a witness look like? And that's why I wanted Malik and Ashley to read Acts chapter 4. Because what happens there, if you, if you have your Bibles, in verses 5 and 6, uh, 
the most powerful, best educated men in all of Jerusalem confront these two very simple fishermen one day because they had done a miracle in the city. And so the, the men and their power and their education is, is seen there in verse 6. Annas, the high priest, a man named Caiaphas and John and Alexander and the other members of the high priest's family, they are there. And then John and Peter in verse 13, they are listed as ordinary and unschooled. You see them put in juxtaposition. The powerful, the best educated people of their entire community, now they're going to go confront these ordinary, unschooled fishermen. Don't you think that uh, John and Peter might have felt a little bit intimidated by that? Think so? As I try to think about it, it, it might be a little bit like a Lake Avenue church middle schooler saying in some setting that, that uh, he or she has experienced miracles. And there in the setting, maybe at Starbucks or someplace, there will be a couple of Caltech science professors who come up and say, wait a minute, let us talk and confront the middle schooler and say something like this. Can you explain to us how it is that you believe in supernatural occurrences in a world that operates by natural laws? Don't you think the middle schooler might be a little bit intimidated? But the, the amazing thing is these two fishermen, ordinary and unschooled, weren't intimidated at all. They simply gave witness to what they'd experienced with Jesus with such courage. And somehow it just records, everybody could tell they'd been with Jesus because Jesus had been like that too. Now, it's not that. Um, giving answers to the hard questions that people ask, that that's unimportant. In fact, one of the two witnesses, Peter, here, later on would turn to us in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and say, we have to learn to be prepared to give an answer to people when they ask for, why is it that you have this hope that you have found in Christ? So learning to be that kind of witness is very, very important, but it's very significant for us to see that the main thing that Jesus wants us to be is simply a witness. And a witness is someone who has experienced something that is real, that we simply pass on to others. Actually, first, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 20 gives a pretty good definition of this, as, as Peter and John will say this. We must speak about what we have seen and heard. You see that? That's what a witness is. Someone who has experienced something with Jesus that is so real that when people ask you about it, you simply say, this is what's happened to me. Which brings up a huge question for us when we go to church, doesn't it? Have you ever really experienced anything with Jesus? The answer, you might think, well, of course, here I'm in church. And yet you and I both know that we can show up at church and just do it sort of punching the clock. We, we, we can say all the right things and learn all the right things and even sing the songs and not have a deep personal encounter with the Lord Jesus. I've got to ask you again, have you had a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you experienced that incredible joy that comes when you know yourself and you know you've fallen short and yet you have heard him say, this is why I came, I died on the cross in your place? You can know cleansing from your sins. Your life can be made new. Have you experienced that? 
that you just have to pass that on because everyone in this world needs to know that freedom from shame and guilt that comes from all of that stuff that is in our lives. Have you ever experienced the depth of the love of God for you? The Apostle Paul would talk about that. He considered himself the worst of all sinners. And yet he had experienced the love of, love of Jesus. And his prayer for, for church people in Ephesus is this, I pray that you who've been established in love might have power together with all God's people, God's real people, to grasp and to know. And the word that he used is experience. How wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is for you. Have you ever experienced that? So I'm telling you, that's what a witness is. Someone who has experienced the reality of God and simply gives testimony to what we've seen and heard. Uh, Jesus calls us to be witnesses. One, one of my favorite witnesses in, in the Bible is, I think I've told you, I've used this story in the midst of preaching. At John chapter 9, where the blind man was healed on the Sabbath by Jesus. And again, the religious authorities were so upset that this had happened. And they come and confront him. And instead of being, he didn't know how to really, he had just met Jesus. And that all that he said was this as, as they were trying to overwhelm him. Well, all I know is this. I was blind, and now I see, and he did it. See, that, that is what a witness is, and that's what Jesus in his last five minutes wants us to be. Now, you know that when you and I uh, give witness, that sometimes it feels like our words are awfully weak. Anybody ever experienced that? So how is it that God takes frail words like you and I speak and then actually uses them to do eternal things in people's lives? And that's the second question. From where or from whom does the power come? And in his last five minutes, Jesus makes that so clear. It comes from the Holy Spirit. You're going to have power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I try to put myself into the shoes of these disciples. Um, they, had, they had seen Jesus dying on a cross. Then... They had met him in that upper room, you know, risen. He's really alive. Uh, then they were just about to see him lifted up through the clouds to be ascended to the right hand of the Father. Can't you imagine? They were so thrilled that they thought, ah, we've got to get out and tell this story. But Jesus said, no, not yet. Because uh, this is going to be God's work that has to be done. It's going to be the God's spirit that has to empower you. Otherwise, it's just human, human instrumentation. You need the spirit of God. Wait till the spirit of God comes upon you. If, if you're new to the church, uh, when you receive Jesus into your life, one of the most beautiful, powerful things that makes your faith real is that God gives his Holy Spirit to us. It's a very hard thing to explain, but I'm a witness that it is really true that God is present in your life and the Holy Spirit does so many things. Uh, Jesus himself talked about the things the Holy Spirit does in, in his last discourse in John 14 to, to 16. Uh, what, what did he say? He says, the Holy Spirit is a comforter, he said. So that whenever you go through some really tough times, you, you sense this, the fact that God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in this time of trouble. Have you experienced that? tell you we're a witness to that and in a world where people often go through really hard times they need to know that's true the, the Holy Spirit sometimes convicts us of our sin uh, I have to tell you I'm a witness of that too <laughs> 
when we've walked away from him and you, and you sense God drawing you back, drawing you back, saying don't keep living, that'll destroy your life. I've experienced that. The Spirit of God convicts us of sin. Last fall, I did a whole series of messages. I called it synced. Do you remember that? How's your memory? <laughs> I've talked about this, these things we want to get set free from in our lives, the things that are wrong, the things that are sinful. And where do we find that freedom? And, and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit beginning to help us to live the way God made us to live. So the Holy Spirit does all those things and so much more. But in his last five minutes, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will give you the power to be a witness that he will use your words to do eternal things. Um, one of the people who heard him say that was Peter. And in that same letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, I think he took this up when he says, when you speak, and I think speaking there in witness, when you speak, speak as one speaking the very words of God. Isn't that a powerful statement? Does that really happen? Let me tell you what it's like. I, I thought of so many stories. I think I've told you this once, but this is the best once before, but I think it's, it's the one that's so unforgettable for me. When I was a senior in high school, I had this deep conviction that I should witness to uh, the most popular guy in the whole senior class. I mean, he was, he was a great athlete being recruited for Division I schools. Um, so I, I really sensed God wanted me to tell him about Jesus. Uh, but I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to. I, I felt that that anxiety that comes in that. And all through the year, I just knew that I was supposed to, but I didn't do it until finally near the end, I got up this courage, I revved myself up to go up and I said something like this, uh, Steve, I don't know how to tell you this, but I really believe that God wants me to tell you about Jesus. And my memory is, he looked at me like I was really strange. And then without saying a word, he just turned around and walked off. I, I felt like just complete failure. I thought, not, where is this speaking the very words of God? <laughs> where is this power of witness going on? I thought nothing had happened. It was years later, years later, that I was going to my uh, class reunion. And as I went into the, the, uh, the place where we were having the big banquet, I saw him on the other side of the room. And when he saw me, I saw him tearing toward me. He almost ran over people to get up to me. And he said this, Greg, Greg, I've been looking for you for so long. Do you remember that time in high school when you told me about Jesus? I, yes. <laughs> he said, I could never get that off my mind. I thought about it all through the summer, and then when I went to the university the next fall, someone told me about it, and I gave my life to Jesus. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. He's changed my life. See, the, the point is, you and I are only asked to be faithful, to be witnesses to what Jesus has done in our lives. And then the power of the Holy Spirit will take our frail words and empower them in so many ways. Don't you often think, oh, I wish I could speak, maybe not as long, but, but as much about the Bible as the pastors do. But I'll tell you, it is your personal experience passed on in relationship to people that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and through that, people come to faith in Jesus. Je Jesus simply asks us to use, you know, whatever words we can to speak about whatever we've learned about or experienced with him, and then the Holy Spirit will do more than you could ever ask or even imagine, and it will be to God's glory. 
Which brings me to my third and final question. Uh, so he wants us to be a witness. The words that we speak are empowered by the God Spirit. Then third, what kind of witness does he want us to be? This has been an issue that's divided the church. Is it what I call word witness, simply talking, or is it deed witness, showing the love and arguing for or working for the justice of Christ? Which, which one? Do you think? Is it word witness that he wants us to be or deed witness? Both. This is a good group. You're, you're responding much more than you usually do at 9 o'clock. It's very encouraging. This is a part of why I wanted Acts 4 to be read today. Because it all started with, with, with deed witness. And that created a problem. And then they were able to exercise word witness. So this is what they said when the authorities confronted them. We are being called to account today for an act of kindness. You see that? Shown to a man who was lame. And we're being asked how he was healed. So we'll tell you, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Again, the last century, churches were really divided over this. It was liberalism versus fundamentalism. One group said it should be all word witness, and the other one said it should be all deed witness. But I'm just telling you, uh, if those two don't go together, the real gospel of Jesus is going to be undermined. Think about that. If we don't show the love of Jesus and we only try to argue people with our words into the kingdom uh, of God, first of all, we just don't do what Jesus did. He really entered into people's lives over and over again. He, he saw their needs and just like uh, Peter and John did. There, there was this man who was, who was lame and, and, and had needs and they entered into his life. They, they, they stopped and noticed him. I'm sure people had passed him by a thousand times, and especially when he gets over there and tries to beg for money. And you know what happened. Peter goes up, and they stop, and they notice him, and uh, he asks them for money, and uh, Peter says, um, I don't have any money. And I really think he probably thought, I've heard that before. But Peter didn't give up. He goes on and says, but I have something better. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. See, deed witness led then to this opportunity to say that Jesus did it. And I have found that uh, the best evangelism happens when the two are tied together, when you and I really get genuinely concerned about the needs of the people that God brings into our lives. I tell you, if we just use words and try to argue people in, uh, at the end of the day, they'll just think we're just like any other religion trying to recruit people to our religion. On the other side, if we just show love to people, and we sometimes think that the people, world will applaud us when we try to help people who are sick or when we try to help people who are homeless, and that's a wonderful thing to do, but if we never tell them about Jesus, there will be nothing that can happen in their eternal souls. And the only thing they'll think is, well, you're a nice guy because you helped me with my problem. But, but when they come together, we show the love of Jesus because we have a genuine concern. Because if the love of Jesus is for us, it is for anyone. And he shows his love through us. When that happens, then we have this authentic opportunity to say, I doubt I would have ever stopped had it not been for Jesus. I want us to learn from the way Peter and John did it. The love that, of Jesus that flowed through them to reach out to the need 
gave them the opportunity to bring the name of Jesus into the equation. Uh, if, if you'll listen again or read again Acts 4, you will see that they intentionally, again and again, <clears throat> use the name of Jesus. <clears throat> I've got it. Got it. <clears throat> okay, there we go. Thank you, Mark. So that it all culminates in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. You see you're listening more earnestly in these last five minutes. <laughs> in which uh, Peter declares, in this world salvation is found in no other name than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved. See, together, word, deed, word witness and deed witness. My prayer, especially for those who are newer believers, is that you'll learn to simply give witness. You might say, I don't know very much about the faith myself. Well, tell about what you know. A witness, you don't, you don't have to say more than you know. You don't have to, have to act like you're more perfect than you are. They'll already know that anyway. <laughs> you can just give witness to the fact that you're finding hope in Christ. And then as you continue, as you continue to grow in your faith, you'll, you'll hear what Peter said. I have this verse up here for you to look at, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that you'll develop to be able to be prepared, as he said, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But then notice, but do this with gentleness and respect. Enter into real relationships caring for people. Give a reason for what you believe and share your experience. Now, one of the things that a local church should do is that we should help you to be prepared to give a defense. And I don't know if you know this, but we've set Pastor Jeff Leo aside specifically for this task. He had been working with our young adults, doing such a fantastic job, and leading people to the Lord himself, and now he's moved over to give leadership to this part of our work, uh, Pastor of Missional Outreach, we're, we're calling him. I've asked Jeff if he would come and tell us how we might become better prepared for this and, and some of the initiatives that he would encourage us to be a part of. As Jeff, Jeff, as you come, let me show you that in our um, guiding statement, we have made a commitment that we're going to be a community that gives witness to Jesus. We say we are a community that individually and corporately calls people to follow Jesus. Because I never want you to forget that there is no human being who will come across your path who is not loved by God. There is nobody he's going to bring across your path who is beyond the reach of the grace and forgiveness that comes through Jesus. Do you believe that? But they need a witness. Amen. They need a witness. And in his last five minutes, Jesus said, you are my witnesses. Jeff, come and tell us how we might actually do this. Well, I'm going to need more than five minutes. Yeah. <clears throat> so in my new role as uh, pastor of missional outreach, I get really excited about thinking uh, about how we're going to approach the, the work of sharing the gospel and wooing people to know this Jesus who has loved us. I get really excited about it, so I have a few things to share with you. I have two stories. I have five 
stages, and I have four strategies and only a few minutes. So two stories. I want to illustrate what this can look like. I mean, I, I love the story that Greg told about his friend Steve from high school. Greg, you said, I really feel like I'm supposed to talk to you about Jesus. Are you impressed by that? It was pretty simple. I've heard lots of people really look for clever lines. That was a faithful line. One day I was sitting outside of my garage with a young adult. We were just talking, hanging out, and uh, I think we were laughing. And one of my new neighbors came walking by. I had helped him move in already, um, but then he was just kind of walking around getting the lay of the, uh, of the area where we live. And he stopped by us as we were laughing and talking. And uh, he said, as, as new folks do, what are you guys talking about? And I thought to myself, okay, here's my chance. I'm going to be very clever. Um, but I didn't really have enough time. I had a split second to think. And so I just said what I could. I said what faithful thing I could. I said, we're talking about church. And I don't know if you made a connection between us laughing about church or, or, or some strange thing that you could probably start thinking about. But the next thing I said was, are you a church kind of guy? Are you impressed? I mean, it was all I could think of, and that's just one story, uh, but we have been able to continue talking since then. And um, I think, you know, sometimes pastors can make it seem like it's just that simple. And then the story will unfold, and happily ever after, and I know a lot of people in the room are thinking, Please, it's not that simple. It's not even that simple to say anything. And I want you to know, as one of your pastors, I, I know that. I know that it's difficult. I know that it can be scary. I know that there are consequences for talking about Jesus. I know that there can be relational consequences, work consequences. We're not, we're not unaware of these things. We know that you feel unschooled. And we know that you feel ordinary. We know that. I've been schooled, and I still feel ordinary. And I've been working to overcome my own fears and my own insecurities for years and years, and I have a long way to go as my opening salvo to my neighbor demonstrates. I got a long way to go. But let me tell you a second story. Just last week, I was talking with another young person who came into my office and said, I think I've been doing evangelism all wrong and I need your help. And so I, I asked her what the situation was and she described it to me. She was trying to reach out to one of her family members and just was unsure if she was starting at the right place. And so as she unfolded it for me, it became clear to me that maybe we should try something else. Why don't we do it this way? What if you tried this? What if you looked at it this way? And it kind of dawned on her, I think, oh, I could do that. I could do that if I looked at it a little bit differently. One of the things that I, I think we ought to be providing and that I and our department hope to provide is the kind of training that helps you feel like, not that you're the cleverest now and that you have all the lines that you need, but that you are ready now to be faithful. 
That's the kind of training that we're hoping to provide that you should be looking out for as we begin to roll out our training offerings. Now, I don't primarily think of myself as a preacher. When I think about the kind of ministry that I do in the church, I really mostly get excited about teaching and training in specific. So we're going to do a little bit of training in evangelism. When else am I going to get the chance to train all of us? So I just had to seize this opportunity to train us. I want to talk with us about what are called five thresholds of becoming a Christian, five thresholds of conversion, whatever you want to call it, five thresholds. There are stages that people walk through, and I'm going to throw this up on the, on the slide here. People typically walk through these five thresholds. So, so the threshold can be kind of like a barrier, and you actually have to cross it in order to get from one place to the next. And for many people, the first threshold is simply trusting a Christian. We are supposed to be known by our love, but there's enough suspicion, enough skepticism, and enough consternation about who we are as Christians and what churches are that the first threshold is just to trust a Christian. This is where I really believe that what Greg described as deed witness can come in very handy. There are so many thoughtful, meaningful things that you could do. And at the end of our time together, I'm going to lead us in prayer for a supernatural kind of thoughtfulness that can help our skeptical friends and neighbors trust a Christian, maybe even trust you. Once that threshold is crossed, they enter into the second threshold. And that second threshold is becoming curious. So there's got to be something worth being curious about, something intriguing, and it comes from that trust. So if we are a people worthy of trust, folks will have something to be intrigued by. So becoming curious, there's something about this gospel that Jeff talks about, or there's something about those group of people that do things a certain way. There's something about their commitment to justice. There's something about their strange worship practices that I should investigate. That second threshold is becoming curious. And when that happens, the next threshold is becoming open to change, opening up to change. Now, it's one thing to be curious, but it's another thing to commit yourself to changing, right? It takes an act of the will. So if we are a people worthy of trust, and there's something intriguing about us, about the gospel, then sometimes people will begin to rearrange their days in order to investigate what they are curious about. They'll become open to change. And once that happens, the next threshold confronts them. What are they open to changing for? Folks can begin seeking for Jesus. I've met lots of students who are saying to me, I'm going to try every religion. I say, okay, good luck with that. There's a lot. But I want to tell you, when you're ready to seek after Jesus, there's a lot that we can do to guide you through that process. When they reach that threshold of seeking after Jesus, we have the opportunity to guide their search in Bible studies, in small groups, in Sunday school classes, in alpha courses. And then once they cross into that seeking after Jesus mode, the last threshold where we have the privilege to invite people to respond to the gospel 
is entering into the kingdom of God, the God who loves them and who has loved us, they will have the opportunity there to discover new life. These five thresholds come from a book um, called I Once Was Lost by Don Everts and Doug Schaup. This, there's many ways to describe the journey from zero to Jesus. This is just one helpful way. And um, so we have just done the first of the four strategies that I want to share with you. And that first strategy is to be trained. I have nothing clever to give to you, but only to get you to the point where you feel like, okay, I can be faithful because Jesus is faithful to me. We will be offering training as a department. We are at work answering the call of the ministry council to offer the kind of training that will equip us to be faithful in the world. The second strategy that I want to share with you, this is something that I'm really hoping will take off, but I'll confess to you right now, I don't have much of a plan. So, and I think about it this way, if I don't put a specific number on my goals, I don't always reach very far. So I'm going to, in faith, give you a number. I would love to see five new workplace ministries in and around this area. Five new workplace ministries where you're doing something. Now remember, I know there can be costs. I know some of you feel like you need to be very cautious, but I'm praying and I'm hoping you will join me in praying for five new workplace ministries. In fact, we are at ground zero so that if you'd like to help us figure out what that could look like, at the end of the service, I'm gonna go out to the back and uh, our volunteer Tamara Califf will join me in the back who's currently doing workplace ministry and we'll talk about starting something new. That's one of our strategies. The third one we've already been doing and now we're ready to scale up. The third strategy is the Alpha Course. There's nothing like it here at Lake Avenue where we set aside time and space for you to bring your curious friends so that they can ask any question that they want to. Now, in the middle of the middle of the worship folder, it's worth taking out. You have the Lake Avenues and then in the middle of the Lake Avenues, in one small box, you have our announcement about the Alpha Course. And I want to throw up a slide here because in a few weeks, we're going to put a red postcard in the worship folder. And at the end of the Lenten season, after Easter, the Alpha Course will begin. Between now and then, our invitation to you is to begin praying and thinking about who you can hand a red postcard to. Even if it's just like this, here, take it. Just, just take it. We want you to do something risky, something faithful, so that Jesus can show up. And who knows? Who knows? Don't answer for your friends and neighbors. Just let them answer for themselves. So, the last strategy is the most important one. Brothers and sisters, we must pray to the Lord that he would reach out to the people that he loves so much and he would reach into their lives and intervene and disrupt so that they could take the next step across a threshold to come closer to him. This is not some kind of fancy trickery in which we engage. No, this is the Lord's business. This is what he's 
doing. This is what he's done for you and for me. And so, because it's his business, we ask him. We ask him. So, brothers and sisters, in a moment, we're going to pray to close the service. And at the end of the service, if you're ready to join me in the back to talk about workplace ministry or Alpha, um, we really want you there. And listen, if you can't, here's my contact information. You can send me a text or uh, an email so that we can talk about workplace ministry or participating in Alpha. But brothers and sisters, if you feel unschooled and ordinary, all the better. Do you know why? God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And let the one who does evangelism pray to the Lord. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, right now we ask you to descend upon us by your Holy Spirit and bring to us one face, one neighbor, one family member, one coworker, one friend, Holy Spirit, bring us one face. And now, God, by your Holy Spirit, would you give us a supernatural kind of thoughtfulness? God, what is the next thing? What is the next thing that we can do, say, bring? How can we care, really make a connection? God, what is the next thing that we could do? Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening to you. And we desire to be a witness, to have the opportunity to earn the trust so that we can say, we have seen you at work in our lives. God, would you grant us this opportunity and this privilege because you have loved us and you desire to draw all people to yourself. This is your will that you say in your word. Make it so, and even use us. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.